but it, it occurs to me I need a much better chair to do this in because my butt is not happy with this chair. On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Progressive Rock Gateway Live Albums. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands, album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends, Paul Zotter and Ken Gregory, as we consider four progressive rock gateway live albums. Like how you said progressive rock gateway live albums like the like the <laughs> rock and roll dj i've got my rock and roll dj voice going tonight <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i was just ex- i was i was trying to get all those words out and it's like Bleh. so anyway gentlemen welcome to tonight's palaver where we are taking a little side trip into realms Hitherto unvisited, that would be live records. As a matter of course, we here at the Palaver have eschewed, if I may use our 25 cent word for the evening, live albums as a matter of course. Um, But tonight we are considering in a limited and somewhat different sense four very specific live albums that we here at the Palaver have determined have provided gateways into progressive rock music for the four artists in question. And those four albums would be Yes Songs by Yes, Seconds Out by Genesis, Exit Stage Left by Rush, and Plays Live by Peter Gabriel. Now, I think the one that, well, I think there are two that probably got mentioned most in our segments on these particular artists, and that would be Plays Live, because for you, Paul, that truly was your gateway to the entire Peter Gabriel catalog. Indeed. And the other one that I think probably came up most often in our discussion was Exit Stage Left. I seem to recall Ken staying up late at night and recording that album off the radio, if I have that story correctly. And changed my life, yes. <laughs> so <laughs> and, and changed your life. And so those two kind of showed up most in our uh, in our discussions of those records. However, um, you know, through the course of considering Yes and Genesis as well, um, you know, these two live records, you know, certainly did come to light and, you know, they were released at sort of pivotal points in the, in the band's careers. Um, and 
and provided an an opportunity for listeners to get into the band. It you know, provided sort of a a full vision spectrum of what the band was about at that time. And specifically with regards to Seconds Out, I seem to recall, and I don't remember if it was the group consensus, but certainly when we did our special episode on Supper's Ready, my feeling was that Seconds Out uh, represents the definitive version of Supper's Ready. Um, again, I don't recall what the, the group's overall feeling was, but the, the point is, these albums have come up in conversation. Now, as I was, you know, kind of preparing for this, I, I it, it became noteworthy to me that these records, these albums, sort of delineate themselves into two different categories. Um, and, and it's based mainly on time of music. So if you look, hmm. Yes Songs was released in 1973 and covers music that was released between 1971 and 1973, which is amazing when you think that that includes the Yes album Fragile and Close to the Edge released in, you know, so, such quick succession. It's absolutely amazing. And Seconds Out was released in 1977 and it covers music that was originally released between 1971 and 1976. So, you know, those two are, are sort of related. And then the other two, Exit Stage Left, released in 1981, covering music from 1976 to 1981, and Plays Live was released in 1983, covering music made and released between 1977 and 1982. So Plays Live and Exit Stage Left are sort of like you know the 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 first you know foray into you know maybe second generation type uh, progressive rock bands. I know that Peter Gabriel was in Genesis, but plays live covers only his catalog, and it's sort of the transition period from you know the original classic progressive rock that is illustrated by the the older of. The older yeah. two records. So I, I just I I found that kind of interesting when I was looking through that. I'm like, wow, it's kind of sp splits itself up nicely. Yeah, and you know, before I say my next comment, I just want to say this is already the best episode we've had in a long time because Joe, in the same 45 second stretch, you uttered hitherto and eschewed. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's like 50 cents in one minute. So 50 cents in one minute plus the radio DJ voice. So. Exactly. Exactly. So we're going already... for the bonus. Can you quote 1001 albums you must hear before you die? <laughs> Sadly, I don't have it here in Brian, which brings up a good point, Ken. I need to move that book down here to Brian since mm. we record and when I'm here as opposed to when I'm in in a right. trophy club. So that's that's an excellent point, but I'm yeah. not. You I'm might not have to buy, uh, purchase point. two copies of the book, Joe, to have one in each location. Oh, see, that would be and, the safest way to do this. Yes, and then and then <laughs> then you would own both copies of that book that exists in Texas. So then that would be perfect. <laughs> I do love that book, though. It is. It was certainly money well spent, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, one of the things that I thought was interesting is, if I'm correct about this, seconds out is the live interpretation of songs without Peter Gabriel, right? So it's the live mm -hmm. 
like if you grew up on the classic Genesis, this was your chance to hear all that with the Phil Collins mm -hmm. singing. Correct. Whereas Yes Songs, this was basically Alan White playing all of Bill Bruford's tracks. Fair. Um, yes. And, and it's sort of that, like the new version of the band prior to Tales, right? So... I don't know why bands put out live albums when they did, but it certainly <laughs> seemed to fit the, the bill and, for, for those two bands. And keeping with that theme, Exit Stage Left is rumored to be Rush joined by studio musicians. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and Paul, you, you touch upon another important facet of these, these two records in that... So 50% of what we're calling you know these gateway live albums and the two earlier ones... Both feature, to varying degrees, one Bill Bruford. Wow. You know, when we think about, you know, we, we always joked about the the poster that Ken has in his front room with the, the, the balls of influence. Yeah, and Bill right. Bruford's ball is enormous. It's huge. And, you know, here you go. I mean, if... It, we, we've made jokes about, you know, Tony Levin, if you want to, you know replace a famous um prog bass player you've got to get tony levin well bill bruford's been in every important prog band that there is except for like jethro tull right yeah <laughs> is mean, his is his ball the biggest it very well could be <laughs> that poster was only issued for a very limited time and somebody just did some data crunching to represent musicians as balls based on whatever album thought, release list they had but uh, it wasn't repeatable and it, I, i'm wondering if they didn't reproduce it because it was error prone or, or something mm -hmm. odd with the algorithm so i can't i can't verify for you that the dimensions of those balls have any scientific significance it's okay. but, it but we accept it like we accept it as fact here at the palaver therefore <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i think we've determined our on our own that bill bruford has the largest ball he clearly okay. does you know okay. electronic drums aside bill bruford's ball is enormous it's the if, price of it's the price of being an innovator i'll have to get him to sign that damn poster <laughs> that would be epic if you could really manage that somehow <laughs> I would that look would. like a tool standing in line. I no, would you wouldn't. Like an... If you got him <laughs> to sign that and then got a picture of him holding that up, that would just be... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I bet no one has ever asked him to sign his big blue ball. I'll bet. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I can't form those words. <laughs> Well, we've got some some levity here in the palaver tonight, which is nice. I'm 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 happy about this. Um, <laughs> so not only are we going to you know hopefully briefly discuss these records, we are also planning to rank these records. Now there's only four of them, but you know, hey, we like to rank things, and I think that should be a fun little exercise as well. Um, do we have? Uh, numbers from Tom. Did anybody phone in any numbers, or is it just the three of us? I believe it's just the three of us. Tom has We'd... been MIA. He's probably on a boat somewhere with a super huge <sighs> boom mic. If Bill Bruford has the biggest blue ball, Tom has the biggest mic boom that we've ever seen. He does he... have a large boom. We've seen this. Yes. Okay. Yep. 
we should get him a shirt that says, all the girls love my big boom. (laughs) 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 Oh my gosh. Okay, I just need a fourth data column because I'm I'm used to crunching the numbers in our rankings. Yeah, and you know, I wasn't even planning on on putting a spreadsheet together for this, but I guess I could. I mean, we could use album sales or, you know, status. We could. If the wikis will give us something like that. So while you're putting that together, Ken, if you don't mind, I can run through the particulars for these albums. Absolutely. Set the table, as it were. And in no particular order, and in fact, in an order that if I had thought about it, I would not have chosen. Here we go. Seconds Out was released 14 October 1977, released on the labels Charisma and Atlantic, produced by David Henschel and Genesis. The track listing um, consists of Squonk, The Carpet Crawlers, Robbery, Assault and Battery, Afterglow, Firth of Fifth, I Know What I Like in Your Wardrobe, The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, The Musical Box Closing Section, Supper's Ready, consisting of Lover's Leap, The Guaranteed Eternal Sanctuary Man, Ichnicon and Istacon, It's a and Their Band of Merry Men, How Dare I Be So Beautiful, Willow Farm, Apocalypse in 9-8, co-starring the delicious talents of Gabble Ratchet, and As Sure as Eggs is Eggs, Aching Men's Feet. The cinema show, Dance on a Volcano, with Drum Duet Outro, and Los Endos uh, the personnel for Seconds Out is Tony Banks, Mike Rutherford, Steve Hackett, Phil Collins, with Chester Thompson and the aforementioned Bill Bruford. Seconds Out is the second live album by English progressive rock band Genesis. It was released as a double album on 14 October 1977 on Charisma Records and was their last to feature guitarist Steve Hackett prior to his departure. The majority was recorded in June 1977 at the Palais des Sports in Paris, during the Wind and Wuthering tour, one track, The Cinema Show, was recorded the previous year um, during their A Trick of the Tale tour. Seconds Out received average to positive reviews upon its release and reached number four in the UK and number 47 in the US. Its release coincided with the departure of guitarist Steve Hackett, who left the group during the album's mixing stages, thus reducing Genesis to the core trio of keyboardist Tony Banks, guitarist bassist Mike Rutherford, and drummer and singer Phil Collins, who recorded And Then There Were Three by this time. Seconds Out has been reissued for CD in 1994 and 2009, the latter as part of the Genesis Live 1973-2007 box set. Yes Songs by Yes was released in May of 1973. It was released on the label Atlantic and produced by Yes and Eddie Offord. Yes Songs is a massive triple LP featuring the opening excerpt from Firebird Suite, Siberian Katru, Heart of the Sunrise, Perpetual Change, and You and I, consisting of Court of Life, Eclipse, The Preacher, The Teacher, and The Apocalypse. Mood for a Day, Excerpts from The Six Wives of Henry VIII, Roundabout, I've Seen All Good People, including Your Move and All Good People, Long Distance Runaround and The Fish, Close to the Edge, Yours is No Disgrace, and Starship Trooper, consisting of Life Seeker, Disillusion, and Verm. Personnel include John Anderson, Chris Squire, Steve Howe, Rick Wakeman, Bill Bruford, 
on Perpetual Chains, Long Distance Runaround in the Fish, and Alan White, the drummer on all other tracks. Yes Songs is the first live album by the English progressive rock band Yes, released as a triple album in May 1973 on Atlantic Records. After completing their Close to the Edge tour in April 1973, the band selected live recordings between February and December 1972 on their tours supporting Fragile, 1971, and Close to the Edge, 1972, for a live album release. They were then edited and remixed with their producer and live sound mixer, Eddie Offord. Three tracks feature original Yes drummer Bill Bruford, while the remaining tracks feature his replacement, Alan White. Yes Songs received a mostly positive reception from music critics, though much of its criticism was directed at its sound quality. However, the album was a commercial success for the band, reaching number 7 on the UK Albums Chart and number 12 on the US Billboard 200. In 1998, the album was certified platinum by the Recording Industry Association of America for selling over 1 million copies in the United States. In 2015, recordings of seven shows from late 1972, including ones that were used in the original album, were released in their entirety as Progeny, seven shows from 72. Plays Live by Peter Gabriel, released in June of 1983 on the labels Geffen or Charisma, produced by Peter Gabriel and Peter Walsh. The track listing includes The Rhythm of the Heat, I Have the Touch, Not One of Us, Family Snapshot, DIY, The Family in the Fishing Net, Intruder, I Go Swimming, San Jacinto, Salisbury Hill, No Self-Control, I Don't Remember, Shock the Monkey, Humdrum, On the Air, and Biko. The personnel, which I would have to sort of in some ways consider the seminal Peter Gabriel lineup, include Peter Gabriel, Jerry Marotta, Tony Levin, David Rhodes, Larry Fast. Mm-hmm. Plays Absol- Live. I'm sorry, go ahead again. Absolute, absolutely seminal. Yes, continue. Plays Live is the first live and fifth album overall released by the English rock musician Peter Gabriel. It was his first solo album to not be titled simply Peter Gabriel. This album was originally released as a double album and long play cassette in 1983 with 16 songs. It was re-released in 1985 as a single CD version called Plays Live Highlights with only 12 songs, some of which are edited from their full-length version so that the album could fit on a single CD. It was eventually re-released in its entirety as a double CD set in 1987. In 2002, a remastered version of the Highlights version was re-released. In 2019, the complete double LP version of the album was released on music streaming platforms for the first time. Plays live concerts were recorded at the Braden Auditorium, Illinois State University, Normal, Illinois, 3 December 1982, Memorial Hall, Kansas City, Kansas, 4 December 1982, Chick Evans Fieldhouse, Northern Illinois University, DeKalb, Illinois, 6 December 1982, and the SIU Arena, Southern Illinois University, Carbondale, Illinois, 7 December 1982. Put a pin in Carbondale. We're going to come back to that. Liner notes by, quote, the producers, end quote, admit, quote, although this album was compiled from four concerts in the Midwest of the United States, some additional recording took place not a thousand miles away from the home of the artist. The generic term for this process is cheating. Care has been taken to keep the essence of the gigs intact, including human imperfection, end quote. The album's previously unreleased I Go Swimming received airplay and made 
the U.S. mainstream rock charts in 1983. The song was initially recorded for Gabriel's third album and was performed on his 1980 tour. I Don't Remember was issued as, as a single with an accompanying music video in the UK. And then finally, Exit Stage Left, released in October 1981 on the Anthem label, produced by Terry Brown. Track listing includes The Spirit of Radio, Red Barchetta, YYZ, or YYZ for our Canadian listeners, A Passage to Bangkok, Closer to the Heart, Beneath, Between, and Behind, Jacob's Ladder, Brune's Bane, The Trees, Xanadu, Free Will, Tom Sawyer, and La Villa Strangiato. Personnel include Getty Lee, Alex Lifeson, and Neil Peart. Exit Stage Left is the second live album by the Canadian rock band Rush, released as a double album in October 1981 by Anthem Records. After touring in support of their eighth studio album, Moving Pictures, the band gathered recordings made over the previous two years and constructed a live release from, from them with producer Terry Brown. The album features recordings from June 1980 on their Permanent Waves tour and from March 1981 on their Moving Pictures tour. The album received a mostly positive reception from music critics and reached number six in the United Kingdom, seven in Canada, and ten in the United States. It was certified platinum by the Recording Industry Association of America for selling one million copies in the latter country. A same-titled home video was released in 1982 that documents the band on the Moving Pictures Tour. Exit Stage Left was voted the ninth best live album of all time by Classic Rock Magazine in 2004. Now, I have not looked at that list, but it seems to me that we need to do that. So Thin Lizzy's at the top. Deep Purple Made in Japan is third. It's classic. If You Want Blood, You've Got It by ACDC was fourth. What was second? Oh, um, In the Night by UFO was second place. That's a fucking awesome album. Is it? I've never heard oh. it. Yeah, really? that's like the only UFO album anyone ever needs to own, I think. is. Would you call it a gateway or just a satisfying? <laughs> yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. Um, you, you know the picture of all those vinyl records that I inherited from mm -hmm. Dave Armstrong? I do. The only album that was uh, taken from me by Mike Fuda was that UFO. Uh, <laughs> really? <laughs> yes, yeah. All right, so uh, If You Want Blood by ACDC was fourth. Oh, Led Zeppelin's How the West Was Won was number five. The mm. Who's Live at Leeds was sixth. Judas mm. Priest's Unleashed in the East, seventh. Oh, Tom's pick. Eighth place, Hawkwind's Space Ritual. Exit Stage Left was ninth. And Rory Gallagher's 1974 release, Irish Tour, was rounded out the top ten. So there's a little unplanned um, side trip. Huh. So Rush was the only only album in our collection that made that list. Yeah. Huh. It's interesting. As I was reading through the blurb for Plays Live. Now, think about this, you know, and, and we've kind of talked about it. And it's one of those things, I think, in retrospect, you can get sort of a distorted perspective. Because we now know and recognize that while Peter Gabriel broke huge with So, we... We here at the Plaver certainly recognize three and four slash security 
as genius Peter Gabriel records. But when you see that he's playing at all these small, you know, colleges in the Midwest, you know, he's not he's not filling the arena in Chicago. He's not filling the arena in Kansas City. I don't know what other, you know, places he played on that, but I mean, you have to assume that this is representative of the venues that he was playing and um, fascinating. So, and, and I did say I wanted to put a pin in Carbondale just as a complete aside. I actually spent time as a youth in the Carbondale area. My father oh. had cousins who lived in the southern tip of, of uh, Illinois. Um, I don't think they were in Carbondale, but I believe they were very close to Carbondale. And my guess is I've actually been in Carbondale at some point in my life. So uh, didn't necessarily expect that to come into play, but there we are. All of these albums are in the billboard. They're all in the billboard. But the one that is 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 the highest number, therefore didn't do as well, is Seconds Out. And then Plays Live did a little bit better than that. And then Yes Songs did incredibly well. And the one that sold the most was Exit Stage Left. I mean, not sold the most, but one that ranked the best. Sure. In the billboard. All right. So where do we begin at this point? Where do we begin? Anywhere we want to begin. Obviously, I don't I don't have any intention of going through these, you know, track by track. I think there's too much yeah. there. I think the easiest one to sort of maybe deal with is probably yes songs be okay. because it it in some ways it's the most flawed in a lot of different ways i mean it clearly is in my estimation the worst sounding of the bunch by a long stretch agreed um, you know and and it was funny because prior to you know doing this exercise <laughs> sorry <laughs> the funny part is, is I wasn't comparing the production amongst these four as much as I was comparing the production of this to like everything I've heard from Yes in like the last, <laughs> I don't know, 10 years. I'm bagging on it because it sounds bad. Before we started this, I actually had picked up on one of my sojourns into McKay Music in Nashville, a two disc set um, that is highlights from the progeny, you know, seven full concert release. And it's essentially a companion piece to this, but it's, mm -hmm. it's produced or mastered a little bit better. So when I put this in, I was just, I was kind of appalled initially at, at how atrocious it sounded. A couple of other things that sort of caught my ear as I was going through this is even from this very early stage, Rick Wakeman has shown absolutely no compunction to match keyboard sounds unless he <laughs> wants to. <laughs> because there are sometimes he does it excellently with the case of piano sounds, for instance. Um, and there are other times, just like he hits whatever button and some sound comes out, and he's like, okay, great, that's wonderful. <laughs> yes. On Wakeman has a reputation in the industry for, I mean, number one, just using default sounds from whatever it is that he's touching <laughs> and, not, and not customizing his sounds. Um, and I mean, 
but he's focused on what's important. He's focused on his execution, and that's where his heart is. That's true. Uh, which, which is why he currently tours with just, you know, concert grand pianos and, and halls where, you know, he doesn't have to worry about the reverb or the breath or the envelope or whatever the hell it is. So, yeah, um, he, 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 he's, not, he's not making libraries for people. No, he's he's not. <laughs> the last thing I have on the on the maybe the con list for this record, and it was it was a little surprising to me, given the stage and the career. But and, and I watched Union just before we came on air, and it's the fact that John Anderson's live voice not that stellar. I I, I still can't understand how the last two times we've seen John Anderson. In an advanced age, he has sounded, well, I guess more than that. We saw ARW, what, Paul, four times all told? Yeah. John Anderson sounds better today, or at least he did two, three years ago, than he did back in 1972. How does that happen? I think the key to that is monitoring. Hmm. No, he, he learned the hard way in the 2010 era when his he had the voice problems, right? And he... Uh, now he has a regimen, and he's he's very more disciplined about what he does. I think the stage is just a lot more quiet um, than it's ever been before, and he can listen in his ears, and he can sing. But I, I, I have to jump in and say what a delight I found Yes Songs to be. I have been troubled by the slow dirge of yes that i've heard both live and in their latest album like i just can't get into and i find it so ironic that you know i basically blame steve howe for all of the problems that yes has now in their tempos and just the lame tones that he has that just like no no balls to anything that that he's got and on this record, he is playing at a blistering pace, like so fucking fast. It's too fast. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, where is the fire? And then, and then it's like, okay, like this song should be like nine minutes. It's, it's probably only going to be six and a half because they're playing it so fast. But then they go and they, they turn the, the whole second half of the song into like a solo jam. Yeah. And, and, and I just couldn't get over the the irony of that and how refreshing it was to hear them play with such aggressive enthusiasm. And and I remember I fully expected to just not like the experience of listening to Yes songs this go around because I had remembered thinking the same thing, Joe, like, wow, John Anderson really just sounds terrible on this. And it didn't bother me in the least, like the just the fun, energetic version of this and the youthfulness of it just transcended all of my my previous expectations and really just made it a pleasure. I, I'm I'm thrilled that you made that point because you're absolutely right. The, the one thing that really comes through on this record is a, a vibrance to the music and the performance. And. You know, this is a group of guys who are enjoying what they're doing. They're getting their rocks yeah. off, and it's yes. it's cool. And and Ken, I think you would describe you know most of this record as you know sort of documenting Alan White's very accelerated coming of age 
as he he you know came up to speed with all this music. Oh yeah, it's baptism by fire, of course. Yeah. Um. Now, now pre-COVID, I mean, a couple of years ago, uh, I just splooged over this album when I discovered it, and all, all the material from that time is just legendary. And and I I I, I think I think this is this period is pretty influential to to Joe Cass because he's such an Alan White fan and yeah. a Bruford fan and a Bruford fan, but he, he likes the, the stadium interpretation of the classic songs. I think, I think that's where Joe Cass has most of his spirit behind his playing. So what, you know, uh, you know, after seeing total mass retain yes, tribute and, and, and understanding where they were coming from and how they talked about, you know, learning from live material, sometimes more so than studio material. I went deep into this album. Now this go around, I was much more subdued and I spent much more time with, with the other three live albums and, 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 and less with this. I, I don't know if that's because I was primarily on headphones or what it was, but um, this, this go around, it was a little shocking to me how uneven the production was. Yeah, the only thing that, that I'd, I'd like to say about the gateway aspect of this was I remember watching the 9012 live show on MTV, not knowing much more about Yes than what I had heard from 90125. And while I knew that they were a band from before and whatever, it didn't really connect with me until I watched the their performance of Starship Trooper which by all recollection and accounts is dreadful. But, but <laughs> in, in the part when they do uh, Verm at the end of that song, it, like, something clicked in me that was like, wait a second, I have heard this before. Mm. And I literally like left, because of course I was watching it up in my parents' bedroom because I couldn't, I, no one would watch it downstairs. I had to watch <laughs> it up and, you know. I left my parents' bedroom and went into snuck into my sister's room and started pilfering through her vinyl records to find yes songs and sure enough like i had connected enough to know that starship trooper was the song and i and i put it on and i don't remember it sounding great or any or anything but i do remember being like wow there's a lot more here than than meets the eye but let's just take for a second the vinyl is exceptional this is like an original release and in great condition got, by the way it's pretty good you've got like this first gatefold which is the you know part of the the, the picture then you've got the second gatefold which is this you know with the deer right and then the back gatefold opens up into this picture <laughs> it, it is really i mean and it's like a an impressionable I mean, how, I mean, it was the early eighties, right? Yeah. I, I mean, it was just like, wow. Like the, the, the knowing that there was so much here and of course it didn't really, you know, come to fruition until all of those afternoons and evenings hanging down in, in Vic's basement. But, um, but, but still it was, you know, it was, it was pretty, pretty amazing and pretty, uh, pretty cool. There's also a, a, a fantastic little booklet that comes with the vinyl um, that has pictures of all of the band members. And really the one that really takes the cake, of course, is Chris Squire because all of the pictures of him 
in his outrageous clothes and capes um, is just epic. So, do you think there's a competition, a cape competition between Squire and and Wakeman? There had to be. There had to be. The the oh my um, god! It was either that or controlled substances. (laughs) I fully expected Yes songs to finish last in in my uh, ranking, but I'm happy to say probably more just because of the context of what yes is now um and my joyful rediscovery of that enthusiasm they it it came in at number two for me wow there you go wow i just want to compliment our collective german fluency tonight you guys are doing a great job on the song titles there (laughs) (laughs) we do uh we do our best (laughs) i'm glad that that um you were able to carry the torch. I'm, I, I'm thrilled. I almost feel bad at this moment for not giving this enough of a listen. But I'm, I'm sticking to my guns, and I'm, I'm going to put this one last on my rankings. Okay. It's, it's last on my rankings, too, although not by as much as one might think, based on the enthusiasm. Now, Paul, if this is your number two, we I, I'm, I'm pretty confident betting what your number one's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're not wrong about my number one. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't we go there? Let's okay, talk. Okay, let's do it. Let's talk about Peter Gabriel Plays Live. A fascinating, fascinating record. And again, I think we've documented this pretty substantially in our Peter Gabriel segment. The fact that for these first four albums, this was the version that you, Paul, knew and became familiar with and became accustomed to. And it's important to point out that, you know, these are, for the most part, interpretations of the studio recordings. Peter Gabriel has never shown any, you know, particular need to reproduce things exactly as they were recorded. And, you know, I think this is, this is a fascinating example. So, you know, my guess is that accounted for some interesting perceptions as you discovered the the studio yeah. recordings of these. Um, and I want to say specifically one that, that really kind of comes to mind, if I can find it, which of course I can't, is No Self-Control is the one that really sticks out in my mind as being yeah. just foundationally different in a very cool way um but it's just it's like a completely different type of song yeah i i uh i would agree in fact after going through our whole beginning part and then going back to this to listen to the songs i was like ah yes like it was it was it was a very sort of a mind scramble i think you're right i've you know i even find like salisbury hill just to be such like in the recorded version of Salisbury Hill is such a calm musical bed and live to me, it, uh, you know, on this, on this record, it's just so <laughs> stripped down and basic and, um, but it, it really delivers the, the part of the song. Even the family and the fishing net is, is palatable on, on plays live. You know? I, yeah. Surprisingly. I was, yeah. I was going to point that out too. It, it, <laughs> you know, it's such an odd song to perform live in the first place. <laughs> I know. And, and then to perform it in a way that you're like, oh, that was kind of cool is amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
I always love the intruder on plays live because it's just such a great song. But after, you know, kind of getting immersed into the original recording of it, it's it like you said, Joe, it's such a different interpretation of of that. But the the original recording version is so creepy and so like spooky. You know, I love both, but it it was it was kind of a fun shocker to to get back to it. This, this record, I mean, like you said it, Joe. This this literally was my gateway into Peter Gabriel. I listened to this on the way to the first so show that I saw with my work friends Trevor and Michelle, and I I think I borrowed the cassette from them right after so that I could listen to some more. And it just this became. You know, when when I joined Columbia House or whatever, this is this is the CD that I bought of all the Peter Gabriel. Like I just bought this one because it's fantastic, and I love so the two discs. And I haven't, Joe, I haven't seen the vinyl yet, so maybe it's the same. But the the one cover of the disc is the glossy with all his white makeup mm-hmm. and the sparkles, and then disc two is. It's just like his regular face yeah. with yeah. the same mic, but no sparkles. Yeah, the, is, the, the blue and the orange, as I call them. Yeah, exactly. It, it's, it's, um, it's just cool. And Joe, you read this, but you know, right in the middle of the, of the booklet, it talks about how album was compiled from the four concerts, but they went to the home of the art, not far from the home of the artiste, to do some recording, the generic term of this process is called cheating. Mm-hmm. Like, I just love that he just put that. It's literally in the middle of each, like it's in the middle square yeah. of the of the booklet. Like he's just like, hey, we did some overdubs. Like we weren't perfect at the show, and you know we've done what we could to preserve it. I also think it's funny that on this compact disc, the there's only three panels to put shit on. Yeah, and the one panel is 100% dedicated to the description and the care and maintenance of your compact disc. <laughs> that, that is important. <laughs> it, and it, it's interesting, right? And, and, you know, kudos to Gabriel for being upfront about the overdubs and everything else. But what, you know, one of the things that we've sort of come across when you look at some of these, you know, famous acts is what they'll do is when they flub up something, they'll try to find a recording from another night. So it's still a, you know, a live performance that they right. just kind of slide in there. Uh, I'm not, I'm not here to, to, you know, pass judgment on which way is more appropriate or better. I'm just pointing out that there's a difference, but again, given, you know, where we're going to wind up with exit stage left, kudos for, for Gabriel about being up front. And it, there must have been something, right? Because if you think about, Ken, when we talked about the Birdie soundtrack, you know, there's a there's mm-hmm. a, a sort of a tongue-in-cheek disclaimer on that one, too, saying there's no words and a bunch of this is recycled shit. So just so you know. Right. right. It's almost as if he's saying, you know what? I have a lot of cool fans that don't give me flack, but for the 10%, they're going to razz me. Here you go, idiots. You know, it's like, it's like he knows, he knows that the, the haters will be haters. It makes so much sense though, right? Because like you put out a live album, this is it forever, right? And, you know, we've already shared our opinions on some of the shortcomings of Yes songs. There, you know, if there's 
just one couple of notes or a flub, you know, you, I totally get you just don't want it out there. You know, you just <laughs> the thing. I, and I've listened to this trying to figure out where all of the cheating took place. It's hard to figure out, you know, what exactly was doctored. So, no, did a no good clue. job nonetheless. Well, two years prior to this, Terry Brown was like, overdubs? What overdubs? So, <laughs> <laughs> never heard of them. <laughs> uh, yeah. God. All right. So, this plays live for me it, it, it was not seminal it was not pivotal i did not have it in my collection in, in in the late 80s it came to me gradually but hearing it now i am so surprised that it's kind of a party album it's like not one of us i go swimming on the air songs that i always skip are suddenly really fun and then the ones that you know would be fun like diy and and salisbury hill i mean it's all very very fun with the with, with the dramatic exceptions of san jacinto intruder and you know uh right you know Biko has its own energy of course that's unique to that situation but a lot of it is just hey i'm hanging out having fun on a concert and i think that speaks to you know gabriel's um ability as an entertainer a unrelated thing and i'd be curious to go back and look at something like setlist fm which i have not taken the time to do but you know certainly from this time now he's got four albums under his belt but throughout all the the years that we've been following peter gabriel with the exception of the the sort of reunion thing we have never seen nor heard of Peter Gabriel ever cashing in on being in Genesis. His, his live shows are Peter Gabriel live shows. He's not Stephen Wilson playing Porcupine Tree and Blackfield and anything else, anything that he ever had a part on. His, the Peter Gabriel live shows are Peter Gabriel live shows. Mm. And I'd be curious to know at what point he made that switch in its entirety. I can't imagine for the first two records he had enough material to do that. Um, right. But I, I've never gone back to look at it. But it, for the time that we have been aware of him, he's never done it, which is remarkable. I guess Phil did it too, though. Like if you go to a Phil Collins show, he doesn't play Genesis music either. Behind the lines shows up in both places. Well, that's that's legit. He cheated though because he yeah. re-recorded it with horns, which is just shitty. But that's a whole different thing. <laughs> Where did you guys rank plays live? So, sorry, we'll have to give Phil Collins a lot of money to make up for that comment. Oh wait, already did that. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> Don't have to buy him dinner. I guess we bought him a couple dinners. Uh, Paul, I placed Plays Live at number two in my list. Nice. As we are revealing our, our rankings so early in this episode. Yeah, Plays Live. I'm going to have to make it third on my list. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't want it to be third, but it is. And, you know, when we talk about, you know, ranking these, again, this is a situation where, you know, there isn't really a, a shitty album on this list, right? Right. So it's not like being third is some sort of mark of shame. Yeah. Okay. Exit stage left. 
both Plays Live and Exit Stage Left were albums that, quite frankly, I had never significantly listened to. I, I've owned Plays Live for probably many years at this point, but the number of times I've listened to it is pretty small. I was unaware that I did not even own Exit Stage Left. I thought I had a vinyl version of it, but what I have is All the World's a Stage. Wow. And I apparently don't have a CD version either because when I went to go find my media to prepare for this, I was like, well, shit, I don't have it. What I do have, which didn't really help for this exercise, is the the video of Exit Stage Left, which is not actually the album at all. It's got different songs in different orders, and huh. and it's it's a whole big thing. So I had to rely on on the streaming services mm-hmm. to uh, to listen to Exit Stage Left, but. What I did find, I was, you know, I was pleasantly surprised. And we can get into some of the controversy if we want to use um, different pronunciations of words tonight. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can get into that re- regarding this. But, I mean, these are, you know, rollicking good versions of these songs. I, You know, I... it. It sounds a little sterile in some regards, and and I've I've tried to describe this before. And the like, there's a uh, there's a live album that the Fix put out way back in the day called React, and it it sounds completely isolated from everything. And when I hear albums like that, um, I always imagine like. And I can't even describe it, but I always imagine the music in a completely black void, like just yes. separated from everything. Yes. And and that's kind of the feel I get from this. <laughs> it's not quite as bad as the as the Fixes album, but it's it 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 definitely feels sort of disconnected with some, you know, crowd noise sprinkled on top for flavor. Yeah. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Although I will say, as a 19-year-old college freshman just discovering Rush, having like basically the board mix of this tour w- was like heaven. L- listening to these songs, it was it was it was wondrous. And, and I really think it it speaks to dare I say the musicianship of these three gentlemen. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it, it, and again, I can't speak to the amount of cheating that went on here, um, or you know, additional accompaniment or whatever the the stories are. But it just, I don't know, it sounds great. And I did, I did watch the video yesterday, and I mean, they were having a great time. They were really, really enjoying themselves. I mean, to the point that they're kind of goofy, but you know. They've always, I mean, I've, I've always seen them as that goofiness. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, the thing, I, I'll never forget sitting on the beaches of Ocean City, Maryland as a young lad with my older cousin, Michael, telling me about Rush. And I had never listened to a single Rush song at that point in my life. I was like in sixth grade. 
and he just told me how this band they put out an album every year and every fourth album they put out a live album and he said they are the the working man's band they put it on an album they tour they put it on an album they tour they do it two more times and then they put out a live album and then they do it all over again <laughs> and and I, lo I, I love that aspect getting into because it, it bookmarks. We, I'm sure we've talked about this. It bookmarks their, their development yeah. so well. But this, you know, I got into Rush. All I had was my tape of Permanent Waves and Hemispheres. I had it in my collection and I had listened to Permanent Waves a few times, liked it. Then I had my big moment of discovery over Thanksgiving. And then right at the beginning of Christmas break, I went over to Jay's house and he burned a bunch of, of albums that he had on vinyl on cassette. One of them was Exit Stage Left. And I will never forget driving to, I think, I think we, did, we spent some time in Vermont skiing over that, over that January when I was home from school. And I will never forget driving in the car, listening to my Walkman with the cassette and sitting in my, you know, room inside of our, you know, cabin, wherever, listening to exit stage left and just being, you know, completely surrounded and immersed by the glory of, of Rush in this most epic period of their, of their, um, musicianship and development and, the the transition from uh what is it trees that goes into xanadu or do i have it reversed um, um oh you're stealing my thunder zotter well take oh, yeah. it away <laughs> take it away ken take it away i i'll start by saying joe when i stayed up late to record off of mtv and 94 wisp in philadelphia i was uh capturing what was basically the movie okay. so 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 you spelled out the fact that the vhs dvd version is much different than the vinyl cd version so really what captured me was the video version because i have absolute um uh, my, my my salivary glands uh, just, just, just start like, like gushing. It's like a Pavlovian experience. I mean, I just when I hear the camera eye, when I hear those synth chords, mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm just losing it. Um, it, 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 it's the perfect foreplay for this whole concert. And then um, it peaks for me when they hit the trees into Xanadu, like. I didn't even know you were allowed to do the trees into Xanadu. I like like <laughs> the, the fact that you can do the fact that you can take two epic songs and put them back to back without them over one overshadowing the other. I mean, it is just so perfect. The the middle section of the trees and that whole build up, that whole solo, and Lifeson is just perfect. And then it just bam 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 and it, and it just it swells the maples formed and um, whatever it was and, um and it goes back into the verse and I, i'm just like exhausted after the middle section of the trees it, it's purely amazing mm. and then all of the volume swells leading into xanadu 
it's just heavenly mm. like like every little nuance of of the volume and the pedal and everything else that that he's got going on i, I practically haven't like memorized them in my head because it's just like this gorgeous language happening there and 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 you know the middle of xanadu with the wood blocks and everything absolute heaven uh and i don't care how much of it is overdubbed i don't care if there's a fourth musician i don't care you know what it is it's just it's just music uh it, it it's my definition of, of good music very impressive and yet i <laughs> i rank this number two would you believe <laughs> what? that <laughs> you're kidding <laughs> I, I and 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 we'll and we'll we'll talk about it, but I'll I'll leave it there. This is this is an incredible album. That is the shocker of the night for me. <laughs> and so here I'm I'm gonna I'm going to call out something specifically here. I'm gonna make a couple contrasts, but one of the things that I like most about this record is. And I'm not going to say that it doesn't happen entirely, but it's much less egregious in terms of the wanking sections. I mean, they expand out things and they have some fun and they, they solo here and there, but it's it's nothing like the self-indulgent nonsense that Yes gets into. I agree. And, and yeah. Yes has always gotten into. And, and tell me, why on earth are is there an excerpt from The Six Wives of Henry VIII on Yes songs? Please yeah. explain that to me can't that's the that's the if roundabout wasn't on that side it would be skippable completely yeah so so i'll give him credit for that but the other thing the other contrast that i'm going to draw to yes in and it's 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 a sad thing because you know as these bands have gotten older and as it's become sort of expected practice to release a live album from every tour that you ever do, which becomes a questionable practice when you talk about, you know, as Paul, you described it, the the dirge-like quality of late model, yes, um, especially when compared to this, or the just painful experience of listening to Getty Lee try to sing late in life. Oh which Gosh. is such a contrast to John Anderson, as we already mentioned. Right. Now, I have only ever seen Rush live once, and it was... That's a shame. 2011, 2012. It Ugh. was way too late in the game to be seeing Rush. And while musically they were phenomenal, listening to Getty try to sing was painful. It, it's tough. It, it it had to have been tough because I've I've had a tough time watching the more recent videos, and um, you know at least what you guys will be experiencing this week, it will be at least altered in key enough. <laughs> like I mean, basically any of us could be singing lead for Genesis, um, <laughs> sitting in our couch, mm -hmm. um, at based on how low the song the songs are. But 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 yeah, Joe, I, I, I agree. Although I, I would say this, that I, I don't know if it's so much an expectation as it is just a business model. Yeah, you know, you got to, yeah. I mean, touring is the only way bands make money. And, and, and that's just sort of an extension of that. Sure. I think. And, and what, whatever it is. But the point is you get, you know, you get a yeah. lot of, of, you get a lot of recordings that don't have sort of the, 
the energy that we were talking about here. And and I don't even remember where I got it. I picked it up on vinyl, so I probably found it somewhere and I just got excited. But I have like a, a vinyl recording of, a, of, you know, late model Rush trying to do moving pictures. And it's just like, oh God. But having that experience in my brain, watching and listening to this and hearing Getty just tear up Red Barchetta or, mm. you know, Spirit of Radio, you're like, damn. I right. mean, mm-hmm. you know, at, at this stage in, in their career, he had vocally, you know, he, he he could tear it up. And it's really quite impressive and enjoyable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the so other- I'm, I'm the only one here who saw the Hold Your Fire tour. Apparently. Yes. I didn't. Yeah, well, he was still slamming back then. Well, and that's, you know, that's another funny thing, right? Looking, because I, I did watch the video and it's, they're, they're, they're on such a cusp because Alex is like on the verge of going full 80s. He's got a red jacket and red shoes. Yes. And, and I mean, he plays such a broad spectrum of guitars which is funny and then there's getty who's got his full-blown 80s you know right. hair going with the with the rickenbacker and and to think that in just a couple years from this these guys are going to embody the 80s with the the slick hair and the steinbergers across the board it's just it was amazing to to <laughs> you know just to sort of see this this transition period and think about where they're going to go in just a few right. years right I like that red jacket. So, and, and I don't know if we've talked about this, but I put Exit Stage Left at number three, um, simply because it, it's just not something that I've connected with before, um, but I did enjoy it. I mean, I've always had sort of a, a tortured history with Rush anyway. I mean, I really like them, but I don't listen to them as much as I should. Yeah, I would have thought for me that I'm going into this, I figured Exit Stage Left would be a shoe in at number two. That's what I would have thought. But I, I, I was just so overcome by the enthusiasm of listening to Yes songs that um, I bumped this to number three. There you go. Okay. And Ken, did you give us your ranking for Exit Stage Left? It, yeah, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a tortured number two. Number two. Okay. Awesome. Which takes us to, as those of you keeping track at home, my number one. Genesis seconds out. Seconds out. Amazing. Yeah, you know, seconds out, and it's it's one of those things. I had never owned. I don't think I had owned seconds out. Maybe I did. Um, but I remember when I got my turntable. When was that? Twenty fifteen, sixteen ish. It was. It was a couple of years before the world ended. And I started going on the vinyl buying binge and hunting for vinyl. And Seconds Out was very, very high on my list of of albums that I needed, not wanted, needed to obtain. And um, I couldn't tell you exactly why that was on that list, um, but I, I, I needed it, had to have it. I finally, I did find it. And I have just absolutely loved this record ever since. There's there's a lot to like about it for me personally, and I just I think 
I think the the track list is an interesting sort of amalgam of the old and the new. Again, I think much in the way you described that Rush would put out records, Paul, this sort of, you know, and, and it certainly wasn't by design, but it certainly puts a nice little cap on, you know, the four and five man Genesis era. The fact that Bill Bruford shows up here at all is amazing. I mean, it's only one song, but fuck, man, it's Bill Bruford playing Genesis. How how awesome is that? Mm-hmm. And it's it's fun sort of, you know, when you're listening to this and you're not you're not watching it, you know, listening, paying attention to Chester Thompson, um, trying to figure out when there's one drummer versus two, trying to figure out, you know, and, and I'm going to assume at this point for, you know, a, I don't know who played what in terms of, of guitar or bass. So trying to figure out who's playing, you know, what, when. Is yeah. is a blast, right? There's there's a lot to sort of keep you entertained here, and I mean, even something that normally makes my blood boil, robbery, assault, and battery, I don't have a problem <laughs> listening to here. Right. Um, again, I've already mentioned "Supper's Ready." I think this is a you know it, for me the definitive version of this, and that's based off of the the strength of the back part of the song. Um, you know, some of the, some of the stuff in the beginning, I think Phil doesn't connect with, but there's a lot there at the end of that song that when he just kind of digs in and, and belts those things out, you're just, I, I so believe it. It is absolutely, you know, just phenomenal. And Except they fade, they fade. Well, and, I, and so I was, I was going to bring that up because we all know that's that's my big beef with Genesis, right? They fade out songs too much, and the fact that they fucking do a fade out in a live environment is just mind blowing. It's mm-hmm. so <laughs> anticlimactic. It's especially for that song to go through all of that. It's so anticlimactic when there's just this like pause between the last notes that you can hear. And the time that the crowd applauds. Yeah, that's all. It, it's it, and, and that that is sort of the 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 biggest knock against this this record. But and I am sort of entertained by the the show and the album ending on Los Endos, and I, I believe we talked about this in Rutherford's book. You know, he was describing, you know, the big climax to the show to someone, and they said, "Now wait a second. So you end the show with, you know, a, a six or eight minute song where no one's singing and no one's at center stage and you're all just <laughs> playing music. And Rutherford's like, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I always get a little kick when I listen to the end of that. But I, I, I just think it's, it's great stuff. For me, the record comes up a little flat. I would have preferred less Lamb Lies Down and more Foxtrot. Um, you have 24 minutes of Foxtrot. I know. I would have preferred, <laughs> I would have preferred the rest of it. Um, I, I, I can't disagree with, with very much of what you said, Joe. I think it's a, it's, it is like a perfect amalgamation of all of those, you know, the transition between, you know, five and four man gen- Genesis. And, um, and you know, it's a great listen, but it just, to me, it just comes up as laid back, flat, 
and less enjoyable than the other items that we have to consider. So for me, it was number four. And I'll wow. just enjoy I'll just enjoy your your comments since you both have it in the number one slot. I do have it in the number one slot. This is a very meditative, zen-like, on-the-nose experience. I believe this this album captures the intention of Tony Banks, uh, kind of all the subtleties and imperfections and, and and craft about what 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 Tony does and how Mike and Phil feed into that. You know, I gotta say, what we're learning tonight from all these albums, because live is particularly hard on the vocals, singing is a full-time job. Phil comes out from behind the kit and singing becomes a full-time job with just a few drum solos to highlight the night. We see a lot of multitasking with with Getty Lee and in the later years, he's, he's not really pulling it off. Uh, we like it when, when John Anderson really... Uh, uh, you know, rediscovers his voice after getting sick and makes it a, a, a full-time job. Uh, you know, Peter Gabriel will play some keyboards now and then in the live setting. Uh, here comes the flood, but singing is a full-time job. It's very time-consuming. All, all that has to be done, the lifestyle, the, the sleep, the hydration, the whole thing. In, in regards to my experience I, I would put this on and I just didn't want to turn it off. I was just so deep into it. And the renditions are better than album renditions. Supper's ready. Yeah, you know, Joe, you described the quintessential, you know, reproduction of, 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 of Supper is ready. I tend to agree. But there are other things on here, like like Firth of Fifth. You know, if I yeah. only had if I only had this version of Firth of Fifth, it would be like that's okay because they captured the intent. They captured everything. And, 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 you know, frankly, Steve Hackett was noisy and wanky and guitar technology was up and down, but this is the perfect Steve Hackett, which is why with his, you know, current solo project, he's recreating this album. Yeah. Mm. Because it's, it, it's just, the, this is the perfect, sequence of tracks and the perfect way to highlight his skills in terms of songs that i normally don't like that i like here there are things about dance on a volcano on the re original recording that that kind of great on me with the whistles and whatnot but it's it, it's absolutely fucking perfect here and and, and ending with los endos is is just monumental um i talked about the trees into xanadu I didn't know you were allowed to do Supper's Ready into Cinema Show. Holy fuck. That is fantastic. I'll, I'll leave it there. That, that, that is my favorite way to listen to Cinema Show. It's like, an, it's like an okay epic song, but when I hear it after Supper's Ready, oh my God, I just explode. It's so good. It's not quite on the same emotional level, but I didn't know that you could go from robbery, assault, and battery into afterglow either. And yet that <laughs> kind of works. <laughs> there you go. I'm going to say something, and you guys can tell me if it's really stupid. And if it's stupid, we can we can edit it out. And then I want to go back and, and address something else. But we all... You know, a, a part of the palaver is as we go through these these segments with these bands, we t 
tend to learn a lot about music that we thought we knew. And while it it now seems very obvious, and this record specifically highlights it, Ken, you called it out, but when we started this, or maybe at least when we were introduced to Genesis, when, you know, in in the mid-80s, mid to late 80s, and and Phil Collins was so big and, and Peter Gabriel was so big that, you know, you, you sort of focused on everything. How, how is it that everyone doesn't just walk around with T-shirts extolling the fact that Genesis is the Tony Banks show? Mm. It's all about Tony Banks. Tony Banks is the driver to everything that Genesis is and does. Love it. So true. How is it? It's I, almost I, like he's the George Harrison of Genesis. It is like that. Now, I want to I want to take a quick little side trip because I couldn't help myself, Ken, when you're talking about singing being a full-time job and, mm-hmm. you know, good singers focusing on that. I couldn't help but be pulled back into our our interrupted preparation for Queensryche. Oh. And and that one show from the Rage for Order tour that Paul oh. showed us, who I never knew that fucking Jeff Tate played guitar. Who the, what the fuck? <laughs> 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 he didn't stay with it, but damn, he looked good. Well, you know. Right? I think it was one of those like cheesy like Dean Z like Aria Pro Two like r- like models too. Like was it was probably all they could afford at that time. It was like a star. It was like one of those like rock star like shapes. <laughs> but uh, wait, wait, wait. We we love Aria guitars. Oh, no, we do. We we do. We for for sure. I loved your Aria uh, Aria Pro Two. I love the Cardinal series that Dan had. Yeah, 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 and th- that Cardinal series that Dan had is now worth a lot of money because Kurt yeah. Cobain played one. Plus, Dan, it was a great guitar. Dan, Dan, Dan had a Floyd Rose put on there. Um, yeah, that's right. And then, and then even later in life, I, I went back and got another Aria and had that for a few years and then traded it in. But um, uh, uh, John Taylor of Duran Duran, known for that famous Aria bass, just an iconic look for him. Yeah. I believe Rudy Sarzo with Whitesnake had an Aria Pro 2 endorsement as well. I could be wrong about that, but... Probably, probably, and he probably looked boss. He, he just looked badass, because he always does, yeah. But I, I, there's something about that shape of guitar that Jeff Tate had that just screamed, like, you know, mid-level budget guitar, <laughs> you know? <laughs> But uh, but very very awesome. It was funny when Ken and I were Ken and I were off on this Aria Pro Two Cardinal Series tangent. What a couple months ago, Ken, we were we were talking about this sort of offline and and trading images and whatnot. I, I had no idea that the Cardinal Series Aria Pro Two came in other colors. So that was funny to me. Really, yeah. Mm-hmm. But well. So we've got we've got our rankings. Um, do we have mathematics this time around, or it wouldn't be the palaver if we didn't have a tie? <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's so small on my phone. Unfortunately, Paul, you gave Yes Songs a two, number two, right? Correct. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, that came in last um, because Joe and I 
uh, put it at the end. And then um, the next one was exit stage left, left uh, just because, Joe, I guess you, you were just not a innate Rush fan, and, and, and I... <sighs> and I put it in 3-2. <laughs> <laughs> I know, Paul, Paul, Paul you, you're the biggest Rush fan among us, and, and you had it. You know, at this point, but it, it's an amazing. It, all of these albums are amazing. They which is are. Why we right. did this episode this way. Yeah. There are no losers. <laughs> right. right. There really are no losers. Okay, but then in in a tie for first place is plays live and seconds out because seconds out. Joe, you and I just went nuts over it this time around, and and plays live. Uh, Paul, you made that your number one. So. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I didn't want to make it three. I wanted to make it higher, but just the, the way the chips fell. And, and maybe if you wait six months and did this exercise again, I might even change my rankings. But where I am right now is I'm all about seconds out. It's incredible. Yeah. That's awesome. That That is awesome. And what's funny about these these little um, stats, Ken, is like literally like Yes Songs was, was probably – you know, riding, you know, dancing between like I expected it to be number four. And yet this week, what I mean, it was it was I expected it to be number four so much that I just put it off until listening to it until last night and listened to it while I was cooking dinner and eating dinner and after dinner. And I was just so enthralled by it. I it, it catapulted all the way to number two. So wow. So it yeah. really is a, a little bit of a, a whim that um. But it, it clearly it didn't it didn't help its cause at all. But uh, I could have um, perhaps helped exit stage left a little bit there had I. Um, but yeah, right. I like this. I like this list, and it's funny. I love the Billboard charts. Ken. Yeah, that's it's a nice really, nice touch. Yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. So so uh, exit stage left. Billboard number ten. Yes, songs hit Billboard twelve. Uh, plays live at Billboard 44 and Seconds Out only made it to 47. Uh, but you know that that that's just relative to who they're up against at at that time. Uh, <laughs> and I yeah. find it I find it interesting that our you know the Palavers bottom two Yes songs and Exit Stage Left are the two that are certified platinum in the U.S. as well. That's the Kaylee rule. If it's popular, we don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I like Kaylee. I don't care what Tom says. Oh, All right. Boy. That is terrific. Can, and can I just say that this was the most fun preparing for an episode that I've had in, in recent history? I mean, we've had so many amazing albums and I've learned so much, but, but this was just decadence for, for weeks because we had so many weeks to go through this yeah, we material. Did. And, yeah. and, and every one I put on was like a feast. Yeah, I mean, you know, there there's a reason why we picked these albums and I mean they they present you know, literally uh, you know, a live greatest hits of some phenomenal bands. Um, you know, and in some cases at the height of their prowess. And so I get it. And you know, if you're a if you're a young a young person back in the day aching to hear three albums worth of of yes music it's probably it probably was more cost effective i don't remember if they charged less or not for live records but you could probably pick up three lps of live music for less than you could three separate 
mm-hmm. issues. I imagine. I imagine it was you know, so what, twelve dollars instead of twenty, right? Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And and we're dying to hear from uh, listeners of the Palaver what live albums were your gateways because clearly we're more biased here in this department. We maybe we stand to learn about a couple of live albums that missed our radar. Absolutely. Yep. So. Gentlemen, I'm going to thank you for a wonderful conversation here this evening. As Ken pointed out, this was a very enjoyable exercise. And hopefully, um, and this will probably be published out of sequence, but hopefully we can get back very shortly to discussing the aforementioned Queensryche. Because mm. I have palaver blue balls um, <laughs> from... From preparation interruptus that needs to be wow. satisfied. We may have to just pinpoint Tom over the holidays for back-to-back palavers on Queensryche. <laughs> mm. Wait till you guys hear me go off on mind crime. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, God. Mm. <laughs> the, the real question is, how many episodes will mind crime end up being? That is a really good question. But that's not a question for today. So in order to not give away too many of the state secrets of the palaver, I will wish you gentlemen a fond farewell. And again, we will catch up with all of our listeners on whatever our next episode winds up being, because I have no idea where we're going to publish this, but it will come out and something will come out after it. I, I need to proactively complain about all the folks that, that send me Tommy Shaw and uh, Peter Frampton as examples of singing not being a full-time job, but I'm sticking to my guns. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thanks, guys. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Progressive Palaver. As always, we've enjoyed sharing the conversation with you, and we look forward to your thoughts, comments, feedback, and questions. What are your gateway albums? What, How would you rank the four that we talked about? You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. We are at ProgPala on all of those, or search for Progressive Palaver. You're welcome to email us. Our email address is ProgPala, that's P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A, at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or presumably wherever you find your podcast. And we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So until next time, thanks for listening. Awesome. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs>